Global supply chain and logistics industry leaders gather, connect, and exchange ideas at IHS Market's annual TPM conference organized by the JOC. In our new podcast series, Beyond TPM, we keep those conversations going, taking a deep dive into critical, rapidly evolving topics and the insights uncovered this year at TPM 21. I'm Alessandra Barrett, the JOC's Senior Editor for Special Projects. Today I'm speaking with Mark Laufer, CEO of Laufer Group International. It's great to have you here today, Mark. Great to be here, Alessandra. We have been sitting down together for an interview at TPM for the past 10 years. Over that time, we've had an ongoing conversation about culture. And over that time, corporate culture shifts have moved, although typically a bit slower than I think you and I would like to see. But there has been movement there. And it has been your contention pre-COVID that despite the various changes that carriers have made in promoting and packaging their ocean freight product, carrier culture has remained unchanged. How do you feel the events of the last, you know, almost two years now have influenced this culture? How would you describe carrier culture now? So this is such an interesting moment to be actually digging into this question. Previously, carrier culture has remained very, very static. They have always taken the view that volume is more important than revenue. And that has been reflected in the results over the past 20 years, where one recent article said that the carriers lost $100 billion of shareholder value in the last 20 years due to this culture of mismanagement and inability to read the market. And the flip side to that is that this year, they expect to make $100 billion, which means that they're making back 20 years of mistakes in one year. The question is, is that an opportunistic situation or is there really a change in carrier culture? And I would say that there are two elements that are going on here. On the one hand, it is clear that carriers have rediscovered the magic elixir that they found in 2010, which was the last time we experienced anything even remotely close to this. And the carriers made record profits at that point by limiting capacity and by learning how to manage capacity on existing vessels. This situation that we're facing today is much more extreme and the results have been much more extreme. What happened in a nutshell during COVID is COVID shut everything down. No one had any idea whether there would be any buyers or any companies. Fast forward five months, everybody is home. Everybody discovered the joy of spending whatever money they had by clicking. And completely unexpectedly, the business not only did a 180, but it exploded at the same time. And in an industry where you're dealing with huge, heavy assets like 20,000 TEU vessels, It was very difficult. In fact, it was impossible for the industry to react fast enough, which led to a cascading series of events, which was exacerbated by various black swan events, the most famous being the ever given in the Suez Canal. And rates have now become epic in their numbers. Nobody in the industry can really digest when they're hearing things like $23,000 to the East Coast and 
$15,000 to the West Coast and carriers, you know, giving one out of 10 slots that are available. You, you've got 10 containers, they'll give you one. Cutting off IPI. All this has been exacerbated by gang reductions at West Coast ports, by trucking shortages, both because of COVID and because of equipment and because of demographics, by railroad slowdowns. So everything has turned into one huge mess. The question is, when we eventually come out of this, how will the carriers behave? Will they immediately revert back to their full at all cost culture? Or has this signaled a shift where they have really figured out that when things return back to normal, and normal is in air quotes there because nobody really knows what normal is going to be, can carriers actively and proactively manage the relationship between shippers, middlemen, and capacity so as to create a situation where rates don't swing that much? My gut tells me that they will come away from this learning somewhat how to manage capacity, but that the fundamentals of the industry hasn't changed and it might be a very short-lived experience. How do you see this position that carriers have found themselves in playing out for the short, mid and, and long term? So here is an interesting cultural shift that I do think is going to be significant and I'll say semi-permanent because nothing is really permanent. And that is the way that the carriers, the middlemen and the shipping community relate to one another. One of the most interesting things being uh, an NVOCC and a freight forwarder and being in the middle where we are is that in the past, no matter how much the buzzwords have always been partnership and customer respect and uh, vendor, uh, vendor customer relationship, the end of the day, it was always about price or usually about price. And while those other factors did come into play in decision making, for the most part, importers and retailers in particular were always really focused on reducing costs to the lowest possible level. And that's because there was never really any issues with service. It was all really fluff talk. You were on a vessel, you arrived, you got trucked and you made it into your warehouse. Now the situation there has definitely shifted. For the first time in my career, and I'm 30 some odd years in this thing, middlemen and carriers are being treated with the utmost of respect by importers and exporters who now realize that their survival depends on actually partnering with the right partner. And there is no right partner for any generic importer or exporter, each one finds their right partner based on size, based on their needs, based on their level of control, based on their relationships. So Nike's needs are very, very different than the small company that's providing display stands to Nike as a vendor. Everybody has different needs and that conversation and that relationship has really changed dramatically. Um, things don't start out anymore with what's your lowest price. Now it's what are your capabilities? How do we fit together? What are our cultural proclivities to work together? And that I think is going to be around for a long, long time. 
The conversation around technology fits into a similar vein in that we can talk about the potential for great change, but at the end of the day, it all comes down to the application to individual problems and the usability for individuals and individual business needs. What are your thoughts on that aspect? So I have always been a bit of a maverick on this subject. While TPM and the industry keeps focusing on revolutionary technology upending the, the industry, the digitization of the industry as it's been dubbed, I have always ran contrary to that view. I have always found this to be more marketing fluff than anything else. And I actually have strengthened my conviction in that regard. One of the things that I find most distressing about where we find ourselves now is that none of the situations that are befelling the industry right now has led to any discussion, any kind of urgency on the part of the various stakeholders to revisit the technology conversation. And instead, the technology conversation continues to revolve around misguided marketing talk like, oh, the industry is still working on a fax machine, which is not true. Oh, the industry is still working with couriers and paper documents, which has not been true for 15 years. The reality is that everything today is the equivalent of how Uber changed taxi technology. Yes, you were able to order an Uber online, whereas you had to stick your hand up and hail a taxi. Yes, you had a little more predictability. And yes, your rates fluctuated depending on demand. But at the end of the day, there was nothing particularly revolutionary about getting an Uber versus getting into a taxi. You still got into a car, you paid your bill, and you got to where you were going. And my contention is that that's pretty much where we are with technology in the industry. There is still no agreement or even an attempt at agreement on any kind of data standard or data standards that would encompass even a single part of the supply chain, never mind the whole supply chain. Different carriers report and distribute information differently, and that leads to vastly different output, even for the same vessel. We have situations in which we have vessel sharing among, with three carriers on the same exact vessel, if you go to each of those carriers' websites, they will show different ETAs and different availabilities for the same exact vessel. That's because some of them consider a vessel waiting to get into port as arrived. And others consider arrived as a container being unloaded from the vessel. And still others consider availability being arrived. There's absolute no uh, agreement on what these terms mean or how information is distributed. What about the online spot market? As far as spot pricing goes, uh, spot pricing is a very interesting twist. And that may or may not have more repercussions in the future. So there are two different views on that. One is that the carriers will eventually replace middlemen with spot pricing. And the other is that spot pricing is simply yet another tool that will in fact be deployed by middlemen when this product becomes more mature. I am firmly in the latter camp. I think that the problem that people like Maersk believe spot pricing is solving is a carrier problem. It's not a shipper problem. 
what they're trying to do is find a cost-effective way to unload excess capacity at the highest rate that they can with the lowest cost that they can. But the problem is, how do people pay for this? How do people deal with cancellations? There is absolutely no clarity on this. And I do not believe that the model that say a NYSHEX uses where you basically pay for your container up front, And if you get booted off, you get some kind of a penalty in return. And if you cancel, you pay some kind of a penalty. I don't believe this is viable for the long run. I think that middlemen like the NVOs and the forwarders are best equipped to manage excess capacity in the stock market. And I think that this will simply become one of many tools moving forward. I don't think that this is going to fundamentally change anything. Let's go back to the Uber example. I agree with you that it didn't really change the user experience dramatically to now be looking for your cab on an app on your phone. But from the supply side, the idea that anyone could enter the market, that there suddenly wasn't that barrier to entry that there was for taxis, that was a tremendous difference. From that angle, do you see tech opening up the business in any way? Where's your optimism in tech? My optimism in tech is in the same place as Uber is to taxis, which is that it provides streamlined services and convenience. The question is, we see this all the time, when you see the word revolutionary or transformative, is there anything on the technological horizon that will be transformative to the shipping industry? I've heard it at TPM for 10 years, how it's going to be transformative. All I see are better tools. And I'll say I'm getting clearer reception on my cell phone but I'm still talking on my cell phone. So that's the analogy I would use for technology. It's a great thing, but in terms of it revolutionizing the industry, that I don't see happening anytime soon. Where do you see the potential for revolution in our industry? Or do you feel that revolution is not actually something our industry needs? Are there more subtle strategic changes that can happen to make the shifts that we need to optimize the supply chain? I have never understood the need to take an industry that functions up until this year so effectively and so well and has been so instrumental in globalization and in creating trillions of dollars of wealth. I mean, you know, people talk about the internet being the driver of wealth. It's really not. It was the supply chain revolution that brought a billion people in China into the middle class, not anything else. It was the supply chain. And, you know, even Amazon and Alibaba are their addendums to the supply chain. Without the supply chain, they couldn't exist. So my optimism is that we will return to that situation without the distortions that bedeviled the industry before. It helped no one for carriers to lose billions of dollars a year and to give it to the great retailers who use their very strong bargaining power to beat up a really helpless industry. I would say hapless industry, not helpless industry. And hopefully the carriers have now figured out that their position in the supply chain, in the big picture, is really one of major importance and that they should not be trifled with. I think that will be good for everybody. 
And as far as the middlemen go, I think that for middlemen, for the NVOs and the forwarders of the world, I think this is a huge turning point and a huge opportunity because we finally get to walk the walk and talk the talk about service actually mattering as opposed to just, okay, we'll give you the lowest rate to get your goods on the vessel and we'll pay lip service to what we can do for you. Now it becomes a real strategic partnership and helping importers and exporters in a way that we were intended to. I have tremendous optimism about that. And I think that my optimism is it would be nice if the actual carriers themselves were not constantly in a state of near-death experiences. I think financial health for them will be good for everybody and bring stability. So Mark, how do we move this forward? When you're having conversations with customers and clients, colleagues, what ideas are you trying to really get people thinking about? Trying to anticipate what might happen in the future and to move from a just-in-time mentality to a what I call the buffered mentality, which is really, you know, it's really completing the circle. We went from carrying inventory to reducing inventory to free up cash to let's not carry inventory at all and just do it just in time. And now we have to go back to, okay, our supply chain is gonna be fairly unreliable for a long period of time. How are we going to resolve this situation? And the only way to resolve this situation is we've got to carry more inventory. I think that mentality moving forward is going to be very hard to adjust to because it increases costs. And that is the absolute opposite direction that everybody's been moving for the last 10 years. Is there a voice that isn't in the room that you think needs to be to shift this mentality? Prior to Biden's executive order, I would have said that the FMC is the key player not at the table since they're the regulatory agency that's supposed to be providing uh, regulatory oversight to our industry. However, with Biden's executive order, it now invites the FMC to take an active role into these issues. Uh, However, there is a gotcha here because the FMC came out immediately and said, Well, we do not have the authority to look at anything uh, involving rates, which is the number one ship of concern. So that um, gets to be a little bit interesting now as to what direction they actually go. Were you surprised by that reaction? I was um, because I don't really see that as being um, true. I think that rates and the way that rates came about and, and the situation, they, they're all, they all fall under the regulatory rubric of the FMC. However, this still leaves a huge amount of areas that the FMC can actually make a difference, particularly in regards to demerge, storage, detention, things like that, which have reached ridiculous levels where people are paying tens of thousands of dollars for containers that are not made available to them. And that's kind of a Kafkaesque situation. You, 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 you know, the, I think the FMC can have a direct bearing on that. Before we close, I just want to get your thoughts on the retailers and suppliers side of all this. What major challenges do you see them facing moving forward out of all of this? So this is another culture conversation. And this is another one where I am really confident that the conversation has shifted in the culture. So when this all began, I began hearing from a lot of suppliers to the big retailers, the Costco's, the Walmart's, 
I can't raise prices. What are you doing? You're killing me with this at that time, $4,000 to the West Coast, 5,000. How can I do it? And as things started getting higher, they would go back to their customer and say, I need the price increases. The customer would say, no, 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 no. That conversation has shifted. We're now seeing huge amount of flexibility on the part of retailers and big buyers in terms of their suppliers, in terms of allowing their suppliers to, they're tolerating delays because they have no choice. They're desperate for goods. I personally have been shocked shopping for my own stuff in Walmart and Home Depot at the number of, I mean, Walmart never had an empty shelf that they pioneered the whole supply chain. And now, I mean, you know, you go into Walmart and you can maybe out of three out of a hundred SKUs, you know, are there. And this is a fundamental change. And perhaps between what's happening in the carrier world and what's happening in the retail world, the way we can leave this on a note of optimism is that some degree of balance has been restored between those with power and those who cater and sell to power. And if that's true, it'll be a better world for all of us. Well, that's going to have to be our stopping point today. It's been a pleasure as always to dig into these topics with you, Mark, especially after the last two years. Thanks again. Pleasure to be here. Nice to see you, Alessandra. Beyond TPM is a production of the JOC, part of the Maritime and Trade Division of IHS Market. For more news, analysis, and business intelligence for all things shipping and logistics, visit JOC.com and follow us on social media.